Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love. And Lord, we do pray that you would lead us to love those around us. Lord God, now as we open up your word and uh, try to glean from it, Holy Spirit, will you speak to us? Will you reveal more and more of who you are to us today? God, would it uh, change our perception of you? And Lord, would that drive us to want to know you more, to love you more, and to share more about you? So Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that we can come and meet you through songs of praise, through prayer, through the study of your word, through spending time with other people of faith. And God, would this just encourage us? Lord, now as we open your word, would these words not be mine, but be yours? Speak to us now, we pray. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Good morning, good morning. Uh, if there's anyone here who I don't know, good morning. My name's Kyle. Uh, I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Church, and it's always my privilege to get to lead us, most of the time at least, in this portion of our service. If you've got a Bible, uh, I'd love for you to crack it open to Matthew chapter 12, where we're going to be continuing on in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, looking at the life and times and influence and impact of the person of Jesus. And uh, today we're looking at a continued section where we sort of see Jesus encountering other people in a way that sort of defies expectations and alters perceptions of who he is. It's a bit of a challenging section uh, because it's all about Jesus revealing himself as king, uh, the king of God's kingdom, and some people have a bit of an issue with that and have a certain set of perceptions of what that means. And so there's, we're at this point in the Gospel of Matthew where there's this constant friction taking place. And Matthew's trying to help walk us through seeing who Jesus is in the midst of all this friction that took place. Now, as Matthew tries to reveal that Jesus is the king of God's kingdom, there certainly must be some sense of what a king would look like. Now, when you think of a king, what do you think of? This is what I think of. I generally, for reasons probably to do mostly with media portrayal and the little bit of Western history that I've studied, think of sort of a, a medieval king, one who wears nice fancy armor while riding on a white horse into war or one who sits in a green tunic with a big gold crown and jewelry on a throne somewhere in the British Highlands. Those are sort of the pictures that I have of a king. What do you picture when you think of a king? Do you picture this? Picture something else, maybe a pack of playing cards and the king with his sword and next to his queen and the jack and the ace. You picture something different. More important than the way we picture a king in physical appearance is what we picture them in sort of personality. A king's job is to protect their people, to expand their lands, to take care of what has been passed on to them. A king has a lot of problems that they probably deal with on a day-to-day -day basis as a ruler of a whole lot of people and a geopolitical uh, spectrum of ideologies and approaches. And so when you picture a king, what do you picture in terms of personality? How do they deal with? 
with problems. Again, due to media portrayal, I think for me, it's often, I think of this conflicted person who, you know, they kind of have the best interests of their people, but they generally also have their own interests and their family's interests of, of riches and wealth and, and provisions coming to them. I picture someone who probably is a little bit of a bloodthirsty, ruthless ruler who will go after anyone who comes at them. And I have a picture of just someone who's pretty tyrannical and powerful and <clears throat> maybe not fully evil, but definitely dabbles in both sides of what's right and wrong. Our perception of what a king is really alters our perception of how we approach the person of Jesus, especially as portrayed in the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew's trying to get us to, to picture Jesus as king and understand that he's the fulfillment of who God wants to send to be the ruler of his kingdom. And this is a big deal in Jesus' day because all the political stuff and nationalistic stuff that's going on altered people's perception of what they were expecting. By the time Jesus arrives on the scene, Israel is under Roman occupation, and there is the emperor of Caesar, but then there's also localized national sort of king figures who would lead sort of as a hybrid between the Israelites and Caesar as the ruler of the Roman world. And so when Israelites thought about a king, they generally had a pretty bad taste in their mouth. They saw somebody who would have been, in their time, a traitor if they were the king of the local region, like the state of Israel at the time, or they would have thought of a tyrannical menace, probably a crazy psychopath, when they thought of an emperor or big ruler. And this isn't the first time that they've been occupied by a terrible leader. As we know from studying Israel's history, they get conquered and occupied and they get challenged quite a number of times and so whenever an Israelite person was to think of a king at this time they had a bad taste in their mouth except when they thought about one king God had promised them that a king would come, that he would appoint a specific chosen person who would come and lead the people in their kingdom. He told them that this would be a person who would bring them hope, a person who would eventually lead to every other nation bowing down to God one way or another. And so they had a hopeful picture a hopeful picture of a king who would be quite powerful, who would be quite forceful probably to everyone except for them. They looked and waited with optimism for this king. And so they got excited when Jesus came on the scene because John the Baptist came as sort of this prophetic figure and he said, hey, the Messiah, the chosen one of God is on his way. I'm here to tell you about him. Then Jesus comes. After that, we can kind of track the history through here. He starts teaching about this kingdom that's going to come and it's going to lead towards the flourishing of God's people. People are getting a little bit excited. Jesus then starts going out and now the rub starts. This, this king, he's not acting quite like what we expected or what we wanted. What, 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 do, what do we do with this guy? 
this king is, is making some pretty outlandish claims. He's, he's not just saying that he's here to sort of overthrow the other guys. He's here to overthrow what we understand and what we know is the people of God. And there starts to become this challenge. As we step into Matthew chapter 12, the rub gets a little bit more firm. Things get a little bit hotter as now Jesus starts to step on their toes because Jesus says that he is the king of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, of course, is a very important day in the life, or the week and the life of a Jewish person. This is the day that's set aside for God, and there's a certain way to approach it, and there's certain things you do, there's certain things you don't do, and now Jesus is flipping that all up on its head while he's saying he's the king and he's actually the Lord of the Sabbath. So as we pick up today in in verses 9 to 21, we're in the middle of sort of this embroiled debate that's taking place between the Pharisees and Jesus. And as Matthew tells us this story, he's trying to reveal some things about who King Jesus is to the people, but also to us as the reader. We're seeing that Jesus really defies the expectations of what we might think of as a king and how they handle problems. So let's read together Matthew chapter 12 verses 9 to 21. So Jesus has just come out of the grain field, dealt with the Sabbath there, and it says this, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They, that's the Pharisees, asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So Jesus replies, he says, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So the man stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees, they didn't like this. And so they went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place and a large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. But he will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So here we have Jesus and his disciples traveling out of the grain fields where they've had this conflict about the Sabbath where Jesus' disciples have plucked some heads of grain and chosen to eat them and the Pharisees deem this to be inappropriate and Jesus kind of challenged their understanding of what the Sabbath was and how it was to happen and he ended that section before they head into town saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And then they move on. 
It's the, it's the Sabbath day. It's their, it's their Saturday, their day of rest and worship of God. And so they head on in towards the synagogue. And as they travel in to this place where they're supposed to be worshiping God, the Pharisees decide this is the time to get back. They're going to sort of get their revenge on Jesus. Now here in this place that's supposed to be holy, set apart for the worship of God, they're going to trap this guy who's claiming to be God, who's claiming to have a right understanding of what it looks like to live in God's kingdom. They're going to trick him into saying something he shouldn't so they can get back at him. And so what they do is they look at Jesus and they know his propensity to, to heal people who are sick. Whenever people up until this point have come to Jesus for, for healing, uh, he has gone ahead and healed them. But there's a problem. It's the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do any work. And so they ask him. They say, hey, Jesus, look at that guy with the shriveled hand. He's hurting. Is it okay for you to heal him on the Sabbath? And at this point, really, they're just stirring the pot, right? <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Come on in. We know you like to heal people. We know you say you're all about God providing healing and restoration, that you're all about the benefit of the people, but you're not allowed to do this. In fact, they had written into the law at one point that it was uh, against the law, that it was unlawful to set a broken limb or straighten a deformed body part on the Sabbath. This is something that is written in the rule book, so to speak, explicitly as unable to happen. And so they asked Jesus. Now, I don't know how fast Jesus draws back on this, but, you know, as we've seen from studying Jesus, he's pretty quick-witted, and so I imagine that he came back quite quickly. And he comes back at them, and instead of answering their question directly, answers it with another question. In verse 11, we see he says to them, If any of you has a sheep, and it were to fall into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, this time, sheep are really valuable property. You want to have sheep. Sheep means that you have money, that you have a, a way of earning a living, and that you have food to eat. And so what had happened as the uh, religious rulers of the day were trying to figure out how to deal with the Sabbath and what it meant to not work on the Sabbath was they said, you know what, we need to protect our people. We need to take care of them. And so what we're going to make an exception for is that people could take care of their sheep. If for some reason something bad was to happen to someone's sheep on the Sabbath day, it should be okay for them to at least get it out of the hole. I mean, we're protecting people, right? We're taking care of their livelihood. We're taking care of our food source. This would be something that surely would honor God. And so when they came up and wrote all the rules for what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath, they said, we're going to make this one okay. It's okay for us to protect the sheep. Well, Jesus, in the midst of all this, sees the irony. God has never said that you could do one thing and couldn't do the other. All he said was that I'm going to give you guys the Sabbath for the purpose of finding rest in who I am. I want you to have a specific rhythm in your life in which you will learn to connect with me on a dedicated day so that you could have benefit for your soul and your life. But the Pharisees, 
wanting to make sure everything was just so and there were no gray areas, wanted to make sure that we knew what was in and what was out. So they said this, you can save a sheep, but you can't fix a guy's broken hand. Well, Jesus, <laughs> no way. <laughs> this isn't fitting with what Jesus says. And so in verse 12, after he asked them if they would fit, pull the sheep out of the pit, says this, he says, well, then how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Jesus here isn't getting into a debate about whether it's right or wrong to pull a sheep out of a hole if it's hurt, to save your livelihood, to to reclaim your food source. Jesus just is asking a question, which one is more valuable? He's giving them the value test. On the screen behind me here is a picture of a kid and a sheep. Which one's more valuable? kid the kid's more valuable than she both are cute i mean these are two adorable little creatures here right like there's no question they're both cute they both have value at this stage in life the kid the the sheep's actually probably worth more monetarily it can at least provide wool and food and the kid's kind of a drain on resources to some people's perspective right but really come on that's not we don't really mean that what what has more value Well, the value test. If you were to be walking along a path and you come across a lake and they're drowning in the lake is that kid and that lamb. Which one are you diving in for first? You're diving in for the kid, right? You're going for the kid. You can be the best vegan who would never hurt an animal. You would love and take care of everything. You'll never own a pet. Everything's free range, good to go, but you provide everything for its need. And you're still diving in to save the kid, not the lamb. This is where Jesus is going with this. He's like, guys, let's think about what's going on here. Let's think about what this whole day is set up to be. Let's really think through the problems of this world in a way that would make sense with what God would want. If this day is set about for the benefit of people, for the flourishing of those who want to follow God, which thing is God going to place more value on? The people. And so while you think it's okay to go out and look at and after your sheep, I'm looking after mine. We see all throughout Scripture that there's this parallel of Jesus being a good shepherd and his people being the sheep. And he looks at this man who's standing in the, or sitting in the synagogue with a shriveled hand and he says, this person is a value. Greater value than the sheep in the fields who we would go save if we had a problem. This is the one who deserves healing. And so in verse 13, Jesus puts it into action. He tells the man with the shriveled hand, stretch out your hand. And without lifting a finger, without moving towards the man, as the man stretches out his hand, he is healed. I love this. Jesus, with his power and his might, could have done all sorts of things. He could have reached out and done a great display, but he just simply spoke a kind word towards a man in need and brought him exactly what he needed on this Sabbath day. But not everybody's excited about this. I'm sure the man was ecstatic. This is probably a great day. I mean, in his culture, an agricultural society where everyone works with their hands to have a shriveled hand, it's a big deal not to, to be able to use one. 
he's probably excited. His family's probably excited. Friends in, are gathered around are probably excited. But then you have the Pharisees. The Pharisees see a big problem. And Jesus knew this was going to bring about problems. Jesus knew that he had to choose one problem over the other. And every single time Jesus faces this, he chooses the people problem or the problem of the system. Jesus calls out the problems with the system. No problem. He says, you guys have created a structure around something that was meant to be good and you have got it all wrong. That's a problem. This guy has a problem and that his hand needs to be healed and so I'm going to reach out to him. One of the things we have to understand about King Jesus is the fact that he will always choose people over problems. Even the problems that he will bring upon himself. This wasn't just a problem in that it meant that Jesus wasn't going to be friends with the Pharisees. It wasn't just that he was going to be excluded from coming over to dinner. Jesus knew that by going about approaching the Sabbath on this way and helping understand what it meant to live in God's kingdoms with the rhythm of God's kingdom, he knew that he was setting himself up for death. Now, we, people are sometimes mistaken and come across looking at the person of Jesus as if he came to be this great teacher and then stumbled into the cross one day. This was never Jesus' intention to just fumble through life. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And in actually, in doing what he did here in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, Jesus chose more than to just heal one person. He chose to come and heal all people. Jesus starts the problem of heading towards the cross. By saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, let me show you how I understand this important day. Let me show you how we should live as God's people. Jesus said, I am going to go to the cross for you. And so he does. We see right here at this moment, this, the Pharisees, as they interact with Jesus, as they see the man's hand that was once shriveled come back to full strength, they decide to step back and deal with this blasphemy. He's claiming he's God. He thinks he can do this. He's saying he's God's chosen king, and this is how he acts. This isn't what we're wanting to see. We need to kill this man. And so the Pharisees begin to gather around to plot Jesus' death. But for Jesus, this is no problem. Because Jesus will choose people over problems every single day. And so Jesus begins his journey to the cross right here in a new way. Jesus says the world has a bigger problem, a problem of not connecting with me. The Sabbath is just a piece of this. The problem is actually that the world is full of sinful people, and because of their sin, they have broken their connection with me. They can't find rest in me. They can't find the peace they need in me. They can't find the flourishing they seek without me, and so I will come and solve that problem. And so Jesus puts himself in the way by living a life that takes him to the cross so he can die as the substitute for our sin. Jesus chooses you and I over the, all the problems he will face. Bring it on, Jesus says, as long as I can bring rest and peace. 
comfort and hope and new life to my people. If there's anything that we have to know about who this King Jesus is, Matthew's setting it all up right here. He is a good and merciful king. While we were still his enemies, before this man with a shriveled hand came to have faith in him, before any one of us had our faith put in Jesus, before any of that could happen, we were all his enemies because of our sin, and yet Jesus still came to show mercy. Jesus still came to love us. And so Jesus brings this hope, and we see that he continues it on a little further, not wanting to be embroiled in the conflict right in this moment, knowing that there was still more to do, Jesus steps back. In verse 15 and 16, we see that the conflict in the immediate begins to step back, and Jesus withdraws with his disciples, and those who are sick and hurting in the community come with him, and Jesus begins to heal them. Again, this isn't something that's just sort of happenstance. It doesn't just occur as a coincidence. This is all part of Jesus' plan. If you remember back to the Sermon on the Mount, you might remember that Jesus said, I have come to fulfill all the law and the prophets. And here what he does is he begins to fulfill just that. And this is where we sort of get a, a break in the narrative. Matthew steps back in the gospel. You'll see up until this point, we have this back and forth dialogue. If your Bible has red letters, you see that we go back and forth between black letters and red letters. We go back and forth between the conversation between the Pharisees and the people and, who Je and Jesus, and they interact. But here for a moment, Matthew just steps back and he pulls away the curtain. He says, let's stop and see what's really happening here. Let's stop and see who Jesus really is. Let's stop and reevaluate our perception of who the king of God's people, the king of the Sabbath, really is. And he does this by quoting a lengthy quote from the book of Isaiah. If you were to go to Isaiah 42, you could read verse 1 to 4 and verse 9, and you would read what we read here in verses 18 to 21. Matthew says this, Actually, we'll start in verse 17. This was to fulfill what, the, what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. But he will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the street. He will not uh, bruise reed. He will not break a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. You see where we have these connections. He's talking about the nations and about justice. He's talking about coming to serve the things a good king should be over and the way that he should act. Jesus is coming in this moment and he's fulfilling a prophecy about the king, but it's one that defies the expectations of the people. The Pharisees were getting amped up about the fact that Jesus was going to come and just slaughter all those other enemies and that he was going to come and praise these guys for being the good religious boys. But instead what Jesus has done and says, I've come for the people who are hurting. I've come for the people who are broken. 
and through my mercy and through the way that I show my love, that is how the nations will come to me. That is how we're going to play out God's sense of justice. Those who will reject me will certainly feel the pain of that down the road, but I don't want anyone to experience that. Instead, I want them to find hope and rest. In Isaiah, and here again, as Matthew quotes it, he he gives this picture of what we are like as people. Bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. You ever feel (laughs) like a bruised reed? A reed was stiff. It's meant to be used and and not flimsy. But when one becomes uh, bruised, it becomes floppy and, and useless. Who wants a smoldering wick in a candle? We want a good flame to provide light and heat. But when it gets to this point of of just having that little glowing ember on the end of the wick, we go, well, we might as well just toss that thing out. That's all that's left. Have you ever felt like that? I feel like I felt like those things a lot recently. I've just kind of come and just felt like I'm on the last legs at the, the last straw, and it's just, it's useless burning out well for all who feel like that jesus says i've come to restore new life to you i don't see you useless i don't see you as broken but i see you having value says a bruised reed he will not break a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory and in his name those nations of people will find their hope. Jesus has come to be a merciful and loving God, to provide hope to people through a suffering servant king who will take on the beating, who will take on the problems, all so that we can find rest. I don't know what your perceptions of God are like lately. I don't know how you're viewing him, what you're struggling through with him, but what I can tell you is unless it lines up with this, your perception is out of line. The Pharisees looked and they had one type of perception that missed out fully on the mercy and love of God, how he wanted to provide hope for those who feel like they're burning out. They ignored all of that. We can't be like them. We can't refuse to see who Jesus is in the midst of our circumstance. We can't look at the problems that we face in the world and allow those to frame who we think God is because the reality is God has already revealed himself to us and says, if you would only see who I truly am, you would find everything that you need. What are you going to do with this? What do you do with a merciful king? What do you do with a God who loves you? What do you do when you're feeling like you're just an ember on the end of a candlelight? My encouragement would be to draw closer to him. To get to know him more and more. 
to begin to probe your perceptions of who God is and allow Jesus to confront them to reveal who he really is. The more and more I study about Jesus, the more and more I spend time in prayer and in, in just intentional being away with just me and him, the more and more I realize my perceptions aren't correct. I'm continually confronted by a God who is so much different than what I expect him to be. And the thing that's been beautiful is that as I've done that, He's exceeded my expectations. He's been better than anything I could have dreamed of or hoped for or imagined. But the problem is me. I get busy. I focus on the problems. I allow my perceptions of what I think is going to go on drown out actually knowing and seeing him. But if I'm willing to lean in, like the sick people who gathered around and saw all this did, if I'm willing to press in, Jesus says, I will invite you in and I will give you healing and hope. Church, I think this is the message that we need to receive. I think there's so much that we face day to day that allows us to be distracted and we need to come to him instead. None of us are too busy. This is the thing I hear time and time again. I'm too busy. I'm too busy to read my Bible. I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to set a time, time for silence and solitude with God. I'm, I'm, I'm too busy to, 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 to try to figure some of this stuff out. It's confusing. It's challenging. I, I, I'm too busy. Or I'm too tired. I'm too tired to press in. I've got so much that burdens me every day. I've got so many things to, to get from. I've got to go to from, from, from work to this thing to that thing. And I, I just, i got nothing left in the tank. The reality is you're not too busy. You've got other priorities. You've got other problems. And you're letting them reign as the king of your life. You're letting them control what you do with your time, what you do with your energy, how you approach your life. I think the thing that's really going to change us, our community, our, our view of the problems that happen outside of these doors is if we would spend time with him. What are you going to do with your time this week? What are you going to set apart as your king, who is the ruler of your life, who will you dedicate things to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge you as king. God, I, I, I thank you that you are the one who is above it all. God, I thank you that, that, that we can acknowledge the, the God who, who created the heavens and the earth, the God who has shaped our world to, to look like what it looks like, to, to have the complexity that it has. I, I thank you that you are, are not just that God, but you are the God who draws near, that you are the God who provides hope and healing, that you are the God who provides love and rest. God, I thank you that you 
have provided a way for us to come into relationship with you. That you went to the cross to pay for the problems of our sin, to pay for the, the consequences and costs, so that if we would put our faith and trust in you, that you would not just draw us in, but you would heal us. That you would set us apart for you for all of eternity. God, there's just so many problems and so many things in our world that, that, that seem like more pressing matters or seem more important. And God, I, I recognize even in my own life that there's things that I set aside as being the kings of my life that are not you. God, I pray that we would tear those down. I pray that I would uh, set those things aside. Would I submit them to you so that I could honor you for who you truly are? God, would you be helping us every minute of every day to, to continue to surrender our perceptions and our problems, to continue to lean in, to know more about who you are. God, would we invite you more and more into the every day, into the every moment, into the midst of everything we go through. And God, in that, would we see the good and merciful King. God, I know there's a lot that is weighing down on people I know there's a lot of, of hurt, there's a lot of illness, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of, of frustration with what's going on that, that, that exists within your people. God, would you help us to find rest from those things, healing from the hurts that we experience because of those things. Lord, would, would our lives be like the shriveled hand that that man once had that became extended in its full strength? Lord God, would you give us the reminders and the conviction to draw close to you every day so we could experience that. Lord God, now as we worship you through song, through prayer, and through giving, through socializing with your people, Lord God, would we get more and more of a taste of who you are? And Lord God, in that, would we be able to worship you for who you truly are? Lord, open our eyes to, to see you as we, as we sing these next songs. Would you allow it not to just be repetition of words coming out of our mouths, but would you allow us to really see and, and hear the message of, of the words. Lord, would you allow that to sink in deep? Holy Spirit, would you drive it more and more into us so we can receive who you are? Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are present with us and we pray for more of your kingdom to come, for more of your will to be done in our lives as it is in heaven. And we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.